Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for your word. And Father, as we come to reflect on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, I pray fill our hearts with joy and peace and the knowledge of your love. Transform us again this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is really the heart of the Christian faith. Uh, It is the great day of the Christian calendar. But in many ways, today is a paradox. And a paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition which, when investigated, may prove to be well-founded or true. And we're here on Easter Sunday and there's no doubt what we're celebrating in human terms as an experience is absurd. Uh, I do funerals and I've done many funerals in my time. Um, There's a casket that will be here and the dead body is inside. Uh, There's a great sobriety to it as you have to be confronted again with death. There's a great sadness as you sit and talk and minister to grieving relatives. But the last thing I would expect on that day, and there's many things you do expect, there's tears, there's emotion, the last thing you'd expect is that actually the body would come to life and the casket would open and the person would walk free. It just doesn't happen. And I don't think anyone has had an experience of resurrection here. Uh, We don't see dead people coming back to life. And so there is an absurdity about this claim of the Christian church that we worship a man who history records very clearly was dead and was buried. But we worship him here this morning as the one who rose and not just rose from dead, conquered death, ascended to heaven, is seated there now, he is alive and he pours out his spirit upon us and gives us new life. And this is the central truth of the Christian faith. Uh, We are changed people because we have met the risen Christ. Uh, There is an incredible transformation that takes place in a person's life when they meet the risen Christ and he pours out his spirit in their lives. And I want to talk this morning, how do you be transformed by the risen Jesus Christ? How are you transformed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Uh, There's no doubt that on the night when Jesus died, the disciples thought it was all over. Uh, They were from the country, so to speak. They were preparing to go back, but they still had to finish off the ceremonial burial preparations for Jesus' body. So they stayed around to wait for after the Sabbath. And they came there that morning, the women, very dutifully, uh, to, com- to finish the preparation uh, of the ceremonial activities they needed to do in terms of burying their dead. And they made an incredible discovery that morning that we've just read about. Jesus was raised. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And after that day, history has changed. Uh, There is no doubt this is a different world because Jesus has risen from the dead. His followers have gone out and proclaimed that and they have lived that and the church has swept throughout the world. Within a few centuries, the Roman Empire was one in the sense of it was the dominant faith. Notions of education for children, for all people, care for the disadvantaged, equal rights of all people, the notions of justice and compassion, we would hold as self-evident truths today. They weren't in that era. They have come as a result directly of Jesus and his death and resurrection. There is no doubt about that. 
uh, the Christian church did not just prosper, it transformed the world they lived in. And so how do we be transformed 20-odd centuries later? And I want to say there's three things. We firstly need to believe the miracle of the resurrection. Uh, We need to secondly grasp the meaning of the resurrection. And thirdly, we need to receive into our life the spiritual reality of the resurrection. Firstly, we need to believe the miracle of the resurrection. I want to read to you from the beginning of the passage. If you've got your Bibles there, you might want to have them open. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 1 page 1047, on the first day of the week. It's Sunday. It's very early in the morning. The women took the spices they prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. They were angels. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, That famous phrase, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Now, I want to say I understand when people say, I can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, When people, if I can put it this way, deny the miracle of the resurrection, it's easily done. Uh, We live in a world and a culture that is sceptical of the supernatural. And there's no doubt this includes the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. The people are sceptical that this man who we know in history died is actually risen, resurrected and alive today. Uh, That scepticism is not just in the world, it's in the church. Uh, One modern church scholar wrote this in reflecting on the Emmaus Road which we've just had read to us. This story of the two disciples who walk with Jesus after his resurrection from the dead Uh, This scholar said Jesus' own followers who had initially fled from the danger and the horror of crucifixion talked eventually not just of continued affection or spreading superstition but of resurrection. In other words, eventually this idea of resurrection developed over time. It kind of evolved. They had precious memories of Jesus. They wanted to keep those memories alive. And so this idea of resurrection eventually came to be. And they tried to express what they meant by telling, for example... Uh, about the journey to Emmaus undertaken by Jesus' two followers, the reading we've had today. And he finishes by saying, Emmaus never happened. Emmaus always happens. Now, what does he mean by that? Uh, Well, Emmaus never happened. It's not a historical event, the Emmaus walk with these two disciples and the resurrected Jesus. He is not resurrected bodily from the dead, but it always happens in the sense that we can have moments of spiritual enlightenment. And that's what the disciples had. Uh, This story is really a powerful and useful symbol of how truth and uh, goodness triumphs over evil. But Emmaus never happened. Now that mindset is a modern mindset. We think it's too hard to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I want to say I disagree with what he's saying profoundly. If Emmaus never happened, honestly, I'm down the beach this morning. The waves are pumping and I had to drive past and with great joy I came down here. I was not worried that it would look great. There's something far greater to celebrate here inside this building. I deeply believe he rose from the dead. But the modern mindset says, no, that's implausible. Uh, And they'll often, and people will think, you know, we're modern people, these story of the Easter events, we know they're kind of stories now. If you go back to the ancients, well, uh, they had a more simplistic way of viewing life and they had these stories of resurrection and miracles and, uh, you know, we can explain things by science in a way they couldn't. Uh, 
Now, there's a certain sense of what I want to call chronological arrogance about that. Uh, are people implying that the people from the ancient world had lower IQs? In other words, in Jesus' day, their IQ rating was kind of an average of 60 or 50. Just think with me, is that what Plato had? Is that what Aristotle had? Some of the greatest works are from this era. Now, I think when you think about it, you think, no, that's a ridiculous thing to think. Uh, and the thing that you may not know is this. The idea of a man rising, resurrected from the dead, was as implausible back then as it is today. And there is no doubt, in fact, it was probably more implausible. And the reason for that is the way the Greek people thought was they had a very low view of the body and physicality. And so Plato was one of the dominant minds and thinkers of the day. He posited that actually it was the realm of ideas, where, that was the realm that you kind of live for. Uh, they wanted to be free of the body. The thought that you would die and have your body resurrected was actually a horrible thought. It was totally against the way they thought. And the interesting thing is the Jews, what about them? Well, they believed in resurrection. There's no doubt about that. You read Daniel, which we're going to come to next term, and it finishes with talking about the resurrection of the righteous. But what needs to be clearly seen is no Jew, none, thought you would have a resurrection within history. They thought it would come at the end of the age when God returned to judge and bring an end to this world order that was against and opposed to God. That's when you have resurrection, not in history. No one thought that. And you see that with the disciples. The women come and they report the tomb is empty, he's alive, and what do they say? He's talking nonsense, these women. What are they talking about? It's ridiculous thoughts. And they're the ones who'd been with Jesus. And they're the ones that had heard Jesus actually say, I will die, I will suffer, and on the third day be raised again. They just did not get it. It was not in there, if I can say, framework of understanding how life works. In fact, when the disciples went out and proclaimed that Jesus was risen from the dead, here's one of the typical responses they get. It's Acts chapter 17 and the Apostle Paul, who just thought it was the most ludicrous idea he'd ever heard of until he met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and was confronted physically and personally by him and then as a result went out and proclaimed him. He goes to the Areopagus in Athens, which was, if I can say, the intellectual centre of Greece and Greek thinking. And the philosophers would gather there at the Areopagus and they would debate the latest ideas. And he went there and said, I want to posit an idea. It's that Jesus rose from the dead. And they laughed at him and they invite him because of the commotion that happens to come and address them. And it says at the end, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, these are the philosophers of the day, well, some of them sneered. They thought, this is ridiculous. And while there were some interested to know, you can see the typical reaction crazy. No one believed in resurrection within history. And yet the disciples proclaimed, and so clearly you see it at the very beginning of their message to the Jewish people of the day, you killed the author of life, but God has raised him from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. And I want to say this morning, if you want to be transformed by the resurrection, you need to believe the miracle of the resurrection. And I want to give you three reasons to believe the miracle is true. Um, the form of the account, firstly, is not one of legend or fairy tale, but one of oral testimony. Let me unpack that. Um, fairy tales, Brothers Grimm, Sleeping Beauty, Hansel and Gretel, 
Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. They're nice stories. A couple of features about them. You don't ever find them written about specific people in history. They're just stories made up. Interestingly, the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, written by the Grimm brothers, there are no names actually attached to the dwarfs in the original version. They came later when someone else retold the story. No names originally. What you find is the exact opposite, actually, uh, when you read the Gospels. They're not written like a fairy tale. It's not like you've got Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Jesus and the Twelve Disciples. Now, what you find is it's a reflection on real history. And when you come to the account of the death and the resurrection, the writers are very clear to help you see this is real history. Uh, Just in this section of Luke, you see that there are a number of key people mentioned. Simon from Cyrene. He's the one who carries the cross. They see Simon from Cyrene who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made it carry behind Jesus. Now, interesting, when you come to Mark's Gospel, Mark says it was Simon from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. He names his boys. You look at the women who went and saw the tomb empty. Now, it's interesting, the... Four gospel writers all name women. They named different versions of the women, not because they weren't sure, but because they had contact with the different women and they didn't have contact with all the women. And so they would just name the ones that they had spoken to who had seen the events. And so Luke, the ones he spoke to, um, he names them in chapter 24, verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna. It was Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. In other words, the one I've spoken to who saw it, the ones I've had dialogue with, actually that's Mary Magdalene, that's Joanna, that's Mary the mother of James. And the women are very significant because you see Luke records three times that they saw something very significant and the language is of vision. And in the ancient world that was what was crucial in terms of legal testimony, what you saw. The women he records watched Jesus die. They saw him. Luke 23:49. The women saw the tomb and how Jesus was laid in it. Luke 23, verse 55. In other words, they saw the body dead on the cross. They saw the body go down into the tomb. And then he says, they saw the empty tomb. In other words, no mistaking with these women which tomb it was. They'd been there just two days before to see the body put in there. The apostles are mentioned. Now, their names very clearly in the four Gospels. And then interestingly, Cleopas, the Demaeus Road disciple. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now you may not be aware of this, but Cleopas is actually Jesus' uncle. Uh, It's a very unique name. And historians all agree uh, he's named twice Cleopas or Clopas, uh, it's, if I can say a difference between if a Greek or Aramaic translation. Same person and he was a well-known figure in the early church. It was Joseph's brother. This is Cleopas. And the unnamed disciple is most likely his wife. He was the one who walked with his nephew, the risen Lord Jesus. Now the interesting thing is this, um, All of them think the Jesus story is over and three of them witness the resurrection and they're real people and here's the thing to understand. Um, If you're writing in that day and age, 
you're not writing an essay like today. So if you write an academic essay today, how do you show where you've got your information from? Um, there's a beautiful thing called a footnote, and computers these days are not like when I was at first university and you had to kind of map out your footnotes on one page and get them in all order and write your essay over here. You just hit insert footnote, it goes down the bottom, it sorts it all out, it's beautiful. And you put down there your references to show this is where I got this idea from. Now, where the disciples, how did they footnote the Gospels to show people where they got the ideas from? They footnoted them by putting real people's names in. In other words, the footnote was the living witness. You see, these gospel records are only written within 30, 40 years of the actual events. And so what they're saying is actually, if you want to go and find out what I'm saying is true, go and talk to Simon of Cyrene and his two sons, Alexander and Rufus. They're obviously well known. They're, they're, they're real people. You can go and talk to them. They'll tell you about how Dad carried the cross. Uh, if you want to talk about the Emmaus Road discovery, go and talk to Jesus' uncle. Clopas or Cleopas. He's a real person. You can go and talk to him. Uh, if you don't believe him, well, you can go and talk to Mary Magdalene. You can go and talk to Joanna. You can go and talk to Mary, the mother of James. You see, they list people specifically so that you can test the claim. The interesting thing is when historians, um, and this is both Christian and non-Christian historians, reflect on the history of this event, all of them agree on two key things. They all say, look, there, there is no doubt the tomb is empty. There is not a scrap of evidence that the tomb still has the body of Jesus in it. The tomb is empty. And so you've got to ask the question, how do you explain that? The second thing that they all agree on, Christian and non-Christian, is the disciples believe they saw the risen Jesus. There is no doubt about that. History records it. What the non-Christian historians won't go to say is we're not quite sure what that means. We actually believe they saw the resurrected Jesus. We're just not sure what to make of that. Let me give you a second thought. The nature of the witnesses. If you're going to make up a story to kind of prove your case that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the last person or group of people you would include, and forgive me for saying this to all the women, is women. You just wouldn't do it. The only reason you would include women is if the facts force you to. And in the wisdom of God, and I think in the, the love of Jesus for women, uh, to elevate them from the status that they had, which was not right in that day, they are the ones who are the primary witnesses. And they are very significant because they are there at his death. They're there at the tomb bearing him and they are there at the empty tomb and they see him alive and meet him later on. You see, the nature of the witnesses is quite frankly in the first century embarrassing. Uh, you would not use them unless it really happened. In the Middle Eastern culture at that time women were not considered reliable witnesses and if you're making up a story you would never include them. Thirdly, the cluelessness of the disciples. I don't know if you've thought about this one. Um, history, they say, is written by the victims. And what they do when you write history as a victor is you rub out the stuff you don't like. We've all got flaws, but we don't need to publish them, do we? It's a fairly natural human reaction. Um, I don't know if you've thought about this. Um, 
if the disciples were making this story up to make themselves look good, because they became the leaders of the church, why would they include all the material that shows them to be dull of mind and clueless? Jesus says to Cleopas, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe. Uh, why would you include material that showed you to suffer from vain glory and pride? Uh, why would you show material that so showed that you struggled to believe? Why would you show material from one of the great leaders of the early church that actually he was a coward? And he abandoned Jesus at his time of greatest need. The disciples were always letting Jesus down. Yet when the Gospels were written and circulated, they're now the leaders of the church they would not have allowed the Gospels to be written unless they were true as it portrayed them in such a bad light. If it was a legend, they would have scrubbed out all the embarrassing parts. There's no doubt about it. And historians also, if the leaders were all alive when they were circulated, there's no way they would have let these negative things circulate unless they really happened and the Apostles let them write it. They wrote it because they were totally transformed by Jesus into men who changed the world. And here's the remarkable thing. The transformation happened literally overnight. And we need to ask the question, what happened for this to take place? I was talking to someone after the 8 o'clock service and he said, look, I can kind of believe in a spiritual resurrection but this body resurrection thing, I'm just not sure. And here's my question for you if you're in that camp and I don't want to have a go at you but I want you to think through this if you're sceptical about it. How do you explain from a historical point of view two things? The first is this. Um, how could it ever be possible historically for literally thousands of Jews who have been taught from their infancy and through their history that there is one God, his name is Yahweh, and he is in heaven, and for a man to claim he is God is blasphemy? Now everyone agrees that is the Jewish faith historically. So how do you take thousands of Jews who have been inculcated with that and yet within a few years we have records of them worshipping a man as God? We've got records from the early church. Probably the best hymn or description is in the book of Philippians. It's a creed and it speaks of their worship of Jesus as the one who in very nature and form was God and who died on a cross and rose again to have the name that is above every name. How do you explain this historical reality? And the second thing you need to ask the question is how do you explain this? That within 300 years of Jesus rising from the death, the Christian faith had changed the Roman Empire and sweeping across the world. You see, the disciples were ready to go home. And something enormous took place for this change to happen literally overnight that fueled a group of men and women who literally gave their life for one united message. Christ is risen and he is God, the living son of God and he calls you to come home. Well, that's the miracle of the resurrection. We need to believe it. Secondly, we need to grasp the meaning of the resurrection. The angels looked at the women when they're puzzled about the empty tomb and in verse 6 said, Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, 
be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now Jesus says very similar words to Cleopas and the other disciples. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer and then enter his glory? You see, the women knew he had died. The two disciples knew he had died. What they didn't know was that he had to die and suffer before being raised again. And as I said two days ago on Good Friday, many of us today know Jesus died and rose again but don't realise why he died and rose again. To his disciples, his death was like any other great man who died for a cause and they were wanting to honour his life with a right burial. And they might have had thoughts of living a sacrificial life the way he did as they went forward. But not believing he was raised, what they didn't understand was that Jesus had to die because he had to pay for the sins of the world. He had to conquer death itself before rising again from the grave. And Jesus was not an example, he was a substitute. He came to stand in our place in the judgment and take our sin. And he came to face death head on and overcome it and conquer it and be raised to new life so that he can now pour out his spirit and give spiritual life to all who will come to him. And it's by grace that we come. And he says to all, come and receive forgiveness of sins because of what I've done for you. It is not by your works. It is not by your service. It is not by your giving. It is not by whatever. You come by grace. I had to die. I had to rise so that you could become my children. I wonder whether you get the meaning of the resurrection. I was thinking... I wonder how many people here live in self-pity because I often meet people who are so down on themselves and life is so bad. I live a pretty good life but it hasn't turned out the way I'd like it to. And it's interesting, you can often find yourself blaming God. This isn't fair. I go to church, I serve, I give. What's wrong, God? This isn't fair. Life is a grind. And you think you deserve a better life than what you're getting. And I want to say, when you say those or think those words, you're actually profoundly saying you don't get the gospel. You don't get why Jesus died and rose again. You don't get this. You don't get that you're a sinner who deserves judgment and condemnation, but out of the riches of his love, because Jesus has died for you and risen for you and made you his adopted children, sons and daughters, you have an inheritance that is beyond belief. Do you get that? You see, when you do, when you realise that you've been accepted by grace and not by works, when you realise that there is a God in heaven who has taken the punishment for you in the form of his son. He has conquered death. He offers you eternal life. You won't be down on yourself. You won't be down on life. Uh, You won't be grumpy. Uh, You won't be judgmental. Uh, You won't be proud. Uh, You will be transformed. You'll rather have joy and purpose as you seek to honour him and make him known, the saviour of the world. You'll live with gratitude And you'll live with grace, treating other people better than they deserve because that's how God has treated you. And you'll grasp this, Christ is risen. He's risen, I'm his child. And because of this, I can look forward to a day when he returns with confidence and assurance. And there is a new heavens and a new earth to look forward to where I will be united with all the family of God. 
And you see, when you have that outlook on life, you realise God owes you nothing but in Christ, he has given you everything. This is the good news of the resurrection. We have life. Do you get it? Which leads me to my third thing. If you want to be transformed, you need to receive the spiritual reality of the resurrection. I think the most striking phrase in Luke's account of the resurrection is the journey on the Emmaus Road. And Cleopas says this, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within? Uh, the resurrected Jesus walked with them and their hearts burned with joy. It's one of my favourite phrases in the Bible. You see, Christianity is not an ideology. It's not just this set of ideas and philosophical beliefs that you hold to, a set of precepts that will help you in life. If that's what you think it is, you're sadly mistaken. The Christian faith has, obviously, a philosophical outlook and worldview that will affect how we live in this world. But at its heart, it's a relationship with the risen Saviour of the world who pours out his spirit into our hearts and minds so that we too, like the disciples, walk with him. He dwells in our hearts. We know him. We know him. He is our Saviour. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God who is alive and risen from the dead and walks with us. And I wonder today, how many of you agree Jesus rose from the dead, yet there is no joy? There is no sense of presence, him being with you. Friends, if that's you today, if you just come out of attendance, out of duty, out of ritual, you've missed the spiritual reality of the resurrection. You might believe the miracle, yeah, he's alive. You might understand it's by grace, not by works but you haven't really received the spiritual reality, his life-giving presence by his spirit. You've never received him. Friends, that's what Easter is calling us to do, to come and receive the risen Christ who walks with us day by day so that when we read the Bible, we hear God speak to us personally. When we pray, we're not throwing a flare out hoping someone will see it. We actually know there's a God in Christ who listens and answers. Friends, believe the miracle. It's incredible. It's attested in history. You see the effects in the way history has changed. Believe it, it's true. And understand the meaning. He came to die and rise so that you can be forgiven and made new and have spiritual life with him and receive that spiritual reality by receiving him personally. Invite Jesus to be your King and Saviour. Invite him to fill your life with his Spirit and start walking with him. That's what this day is about. It's a day to renew our faith and to walk with Christ, our risen Saviour and King. 
I'm going to stop and we're going to pray now before we finish with some songs. And I wonder this morning as you've sat here whether you need to renew your faith, whether you need to come back to the risen Christ or maybe for the first time you've realised he's alive and you need to invite him to be your saviour and your Lord. You need your sins forgiven. You need to turn to him and live. Well, if that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me and invite Christ into your life as Saviour, Lord and King. Let's pray. Pray with me if this is you. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe the miracle. You rose from the grave. Thank you. Dear Lord Jesus, I grasp the meaning. You died for me. You rose for me. Thank you. Dear Lord Jesus, I receive you today. Come into my life. Be my God and my King. Walk with me. Fill me with your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if that is you today, I'd love you to... Um